Shalom. Thank you for listening to this podcast of the Jayberg Wilk Learning Series. I'm Shmuley Yanklowitz, President and Dean of Valley Beit Midrash. Here at VBM, we strive to bring you only the highest quality of Jewish learning. Bringing pluralistic and innovative Jewish programming to the Jewish community that craves substance and insight is our passion. But we cannot do it alone. To support our endeavors, please consider donating a tax-deductible contribution to our organization. By doing so, you will be supporting meaningful Jewish educational content, funding the next generation of leaders, as well as furthering Jewish wisdom to people all over the country and all over the world. Please visit www.valleybaitmadrash.org. Thank you so much and enjoy the program. going on, but this is actually how music was originally intended, to be in a, a small chamber kind of setting, so thank you for taking the time to be here. Um, last year I went through a bit of, uh, I'm calling it my existential crisis, and wondering if what I was doing was enough, how as a music teacher and pianist I could combat the, ha the hate that we're seeing in the world, the rising um, acts of violence and just uh, bitterness towards people who are different than we are. Uh, and one of the things that really helped me feel like I was doing something tangible was getting involved with Arizona Jews for Justice. So I also want to thank Eddie and Isabel, who's out there, and uh, Rabbi Shmuley for all of their work that they do and for organizing this tonight. Um, one of the other things that kind of helped me in figuring out my, my path was I had the honor to hear Ava Schloss speak at the Chandler Center for the Arts, and maybe some of you heard her as well. If you don't know who she is, she's a Holocaust survivor. She has an amazing story of her own, uh, but one of the ways that she's become known is as the posthumous stepsister of Anne Frank. So she and her mother, Ava Schloss and her mother, went into hiding uh, in one place, and Ava's father and brother went into hiding in another place. Ava had grown up in the same neighborhood as Anne, same school, they were playmates. Uh, after the war, when they were being liberated, uh, Ava's fa father and brother were murdered. Ava and her mother found herself on the same train as Otto Frank. They got to talking because they recognized each other, they traveled together, and a few years later, Ava Schloss's mother married Otto Frank. She has several books. If you want to learn more about her, she has an amazing story. Uh, but one of the things that she said that really stuck with me was she remembered hearing her brother, who was a few, few years older and a painter. He asked their father before the war, he said, uh, what happens when people die? And her father said, well, they live on through their children. And her brother said, what happens if they die and they don't have any children? And her father answered, they live on, their legacy continues on through the things that they've done, the words, the actions, the, the things that they've put into the world. And that really stuck with me and kind of was the spark for putting together this presentation. Um, because I'm in an academic role, I put this together for a conference, <clears throat> excuse me, and I'm presenting this in Chicago at the end of next month for a conference of music teachers. Um, so because that, I have a strict time limit for that uh, setting, what I'm going to present today is information about each composer and their, a little bit about their lives, 
play some snippets of some non-piano music that they wrote, uh, and then play some selections of some piano music. <clears throat> Obviously, there are hundreds, thousands of other musicians and composers who, are, who were murdered during this time, um, and my hope is this will kind of pique your interest, your curiosity to, to go investigate their, their contribution to the music world. I'd like to begin with a quote by James Conlon, who's the founder of the Orel Foundation. If you're not familiar with Orel, this is an organization that is dedicated to promoting music that was censored by the Nazis, by composers who were killed in the Holocaust, or by um, com composers who were otherwise affected in some way by the Holocaust. And James Conlon said, we must now mitigate a great injustice by working to revive and perform the music of those whose quote-unquote crime was to be Jewish or deemed offensive by the authoritarian Nazi regime. By keeping alive the music of these composers, along with that of other victims of totalitarianism, we deny the Nazi regime a posthumous victory. The revival of this music can serve as a reminder for us to resist any contemporary or future impulse to define artistic stands on the basis of racist, political, sectarian, or exclusionary ideologies. I'd like to begin with Gideon Klein, who was just 25 years old when he was murdered. Klein was born in Perov, Moravia, what is now the Czech Republic. He showed musical talent from an early age and began studying piano at the age of six with the head of the local conservatory. At age 11, he began traveling once a month to Prague for piano lessons, and the following year moved to Prague to live with his sister, Eliska Kleinova. In 1938, he entered Prague Conservatory, while he also studied philosophy and musicology at a local university. In 1939, the Nazis occupied Czechoslovakia and closed all institutions of higher learning. They also banned compositions and performances by Jewish musicians. For a brief while, Klein managed to continue performing using the alias Karl Vranek. In 1940, he was offered a scholarship to the Royal Academy of Music in London, but by that time, travel by Jews was forbidden. He was unable to leave Moravia. In December of 1941, he was deported to Terezin, or Theresienstadt in German along with Pavel Haas, Hans Krasse, Viktor Ullmann, and so many others. Theresienstadt, or Terezin, I'll use both names interchangeably, was what I would call a propaganda camp. This is where the Nazis confined many artists, teachers, philosophers, uh, great thinkers, and while the uh, conditions were not any, by any means pleasant, it was a, still a forced labor camp, they were more livable than the, the other camps that we think of. Artistic output was encouraged or demanded, and the Nazis presented this site to visitors to show that they weren't treating their prisoners so badly. Klein was active as a performer and self-taught composer while confined here. His works during this time include a song cycle for alto and piano, a string quartet, a string trio, and a piano sonata. He performed approximately 15 solo piano recitals, as well as participating in multiple chamber music performances. Victor Ullmann, a well-known composer, conductor, and pianist who was also killed in the Holocaust, wrote that Gideon was a, quote, very remarkable talent. His is the cool, matter-of-fact style of the new youth, 
one has to marvel at his strangely early stylistic maturity. Renowned conductor Carl Anserl, who we'll hear more about later, wrote, had he survived, Gideon would have achieved the highest standard as a pianist, composer, and conductor. In October 1944, nine days after completing his string trio, Klein was deported to Auschwitz and then to Fürstengrube, a coal mining labor camp. He died in January 1945 during the liquidation of Fürstengrube under, 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 excuse me, under unknown circumstances. Before he left Theresienstadt, Klein gave his manuscripts to Irma Semska, his girlfriend in the camp. After the war, Irma made her way to Prague where Eliska, Gideon's sister, had also managed to survive and made her way back to Prague, and Irma gave these scores to Gideon Klein's sister. Eliska arranged a concert of Gideon Klein's music on June 6, 1946, in Prague. It was originally thought that he didn't compose very much until he was in Teretzin, but in 1990, a locked suitcase was found in the home of family friends of the Kleins. In the suitcase were manuscripts of songs for soprano and piano, an octet for winds, as well as several string quartets and string duos. I would like us to listen to just a couple minutes of the second movement of the string trio that Klein composed right before his death. This movement is a set of variations on a Moravian theme. I think it's a really beautiful piece, but this is the last piece that he wrote before he died. Uh, the one I started playing is a uh, Hebrew lullaby that he arranged in Theresienstadt. Uh, Edith Seiner Krauss, who is a pianist who survived the Holocaust, she remembered hearing the lullaby sung throughout the camp, but never actually formally uh, performed. I'll play just 30 seconds or so of it. It's really beautiful as well. And the, the words translate into a, a mother singing her child to sleep, uh, go to sleep because tomorrow you will have to work.
I will be performing the last movement of the piano sonata that Gideon Klein composed in Theresienstadt. He wrote this in 1943 and dedicated it to his sister. There are notes that were found that indicate that he planned to write a fourth movement to this sonata, but unfortunately, he never had that chance. So this is the third movement, Allegro Vivace, of Piano Sonata by Gideon Klein. Thank you. The next composer is Pavel Haas. Haas was born into a wealthy and prominent Jewish family in Brno, the capital of Moravia. As such, he was afforded many opportunities when his compositional abilities became known at a very early age. He studied at the School of the Philharmonic in Brno and later at the Brno Conservatory. While at the conservatory, he was taught by Leos Janacek. If you've done any study of music, you might recognize that name. Janacek was one of the few figures in Moravia to have achieved international success, and Haas was greatly influenced by him. In the 1930s, the cinema was at its prime in Czech culture, and Pavel Haas's brother, Hugo Haas, was one of the stars. 
Pavel took advantage of this connection and wrote several scores for both stage and film. In 1941, Haas was deported to Theresienstadt along with Gideon Klein. When he arrived there, there are several reports which indicate he was ill and depressed and only began composing again after the urging of Gideon Klein. His most played composition, Study for Strings, was completed in 1943 and was used in a 1944 Nazi propaganda film to show the camp as an artistic haven. The piece was conducted in the film and numerous other times by Carl Anserl, who is also responsible for the post-war revival of the piece. After the war, Anserl found all of the orchestral parts in the camp, with the exception of the double bass part. Haas's student, Lubomir Paduzzi, added this part in, and the piece was published in 1991. We'll listen to just a minute of this piece. Another well-known work of his, also composed in Terezin, is Four Songs on Chinese Poetry, which was premiered by Carl Berman, who we will learn about later on today. We do not have time to listen to this piece today, but if you look online, you can find many wonderful performances of this piece, including some arrangements that have been made for orchestral instruments. After the Nazi propaganda film and a visit from the Red Cross, the Nazis did not feel the need to protect any of these well-known musicians any longer and began transporting them to death camps. On October 16th, Pavel Haas was loaded on a transport. On October 17th, 1944, Pavel Haas arrived at Auschwitz and was immediately gassed to death. Karl Anserl later recalled that when they arrived at Auschwitz, they were met by the infamous Dr. Mengele. He, singled for, he signaled for Anserl to be sent to the gas chambers and for Haas to be sent to labor. But when Haas coughed, he switched their places. Today I have chosen to perform the first two movements of Pavel Haas's Suite for Piano. In my research I found two compositional dates for this piece, 1935 and 1938. Whichever of these dates is correct, this suite was composed, composed during Haas's most prolific period. During this time he also wrote a suite for oboe and piano, two string quartets, several film scores, an unfinished symphony, as well as an opera called The Charlatan. I'll be playing the first two movements, Preludium, or Prelude, and Con Molto Espressione, with much expression. Mm -hmm. 
Rudolf Karl was born in Pilsen in the Czech Republic. He studied composition from 1899 to 1904 with Antonin Dvorak until Dvorak died. Dvorak is probably a very familiar name to you. In 1914, he was on vacation in Russia when Austria declared war on Serbia. Karl and his wife were arrested as alleged Austrian spies. They managed to escape and he spent the remainder of World War I traveling throughout Russia as a music teacher. He later escaped to Irkutsk, Siberia after the Bolshevik Revolution, a town which was controlled by the Bolsheviks but was occupied by Czechoslovakia. Karl eventually joined the Czechoslovakian Legion or Army. He soon became the conductor of the newly established military orchestra, which performed throughout Siberia during World War I. After the war, he continued to compose, perform, and be involved in the Czech resistance. In 1923, he was hired to teach composition and orchestration at the Prague Conservatory, where he taught until 1941. Karl was not Jewish, but was actively involved in the Czech resistance and was arrested in March 1943 and sent to Pankrak, their prison for Czech prisoners. Uh, during the years that he was imprisoned, he continued composing using toilet paper for his musical sketches. A friendly warden passed these scores on to relatives and friends of Karl. One of his works was a five-act fairy tale opera called Three Hairs of the Wise Old Man. The 240 sheets of toilet paper on which he composed a very detailed sketch for this opera was given by the warden to Karl's student Zbunek Vostrek, who completed the orchestration. After two years in Pankrak, he was sent to Theresienstadt in February of 1945. Another work found unfinished in Theresienstadt was Karl's Nanette. This piece was dedicated to the Czech Nonette, one of the oldest chamber ensembles in the world, consisting of violin, viola, cello, bass, and wind quintet. This piece was completed and orchestrated by Frantisek Hertel, the bassist of the Nonette, and also a composer and conductor in his own right. This piece was premiered in December 1945. And we'll listen to just a couple minutes of the third movement of his Nonette.
I think it's such a great piece, super energetic and, and fun. Um, after only one month in Teretzin, Carl died of dysentery and pneumonia. The piece I will perform today was written shortly after his studies with Dvorak ended. This is not a well-known piece, and I just happened to find it in my Google travels, and I found a pianist, Jan Dusek, who had it on a program. And I looked for the music. I thought, oh, this sounds like a beautiful piece. Couldn't find the music anywhere. So I emailed Mr. Dusek, who very kindly sent me the music to this, uh, this nocturne, Nocturno. Um, so uh, if you want to look up Jan Dusek, he is the pianist. He, one of his projects he's working on is recording all of the piano music of Rudolf Karl. So this is Nocturno by Rudolf Karl.
Schulhoff, uh, that's okay. Erwin <laughs> Schulhoff is probably the most well-known of the composers I'm presenting today. Schulhoff was born in Prague to a wealthy Jewish merchant family. When Schulhoff was seven, his mother was able to convince Antonin Dvorak to meet with her son. The story goes that Dvorak was very impressed with young Erwin's ear and ability, gave him two pieces of chocolate, and advised that he go study with another teacher at the conservatory. He studied uh, at the Prague Conservatory until 1906. Then he studied in Vienna, Leipzig, and throughout uh, Austria. His early works were influenced by Richard Strauss, Richard Strauss and Claude Debussy, the latter of which Schulhoff studied with briefly. Apparently, they did not get along very well. When World War I broke out, Schulhoff was drafted into the Austrian army. He was injured in battle in Hungary, some shrapnel through his hand, which for a pianist is not a wonderful thing, and emerged from the war quite disillusioned and angry. Politically, he became, became a socialist, and musically, he wanted to move away from the post-romantic language of his earlier works. He moved to Dresden in 1919 to live with his sister, who was studying painting. There he met many important artists, dancers, and musicians, including Arnold Schoenberg, Alban Berg, and Anton Webern. Again, if you're familiar with musicians, those are uh, very influential composers in our world. He began a concert series promoting works by these three and himself, as well as some other contemporary composers. He also met George Gross at this time, an influential Dadaist. In 1921, he moved to Berlin to live near Gross and to try to create musical counterparts to the artistic Dada movement. Gross also introduced Schulhoff to American ragtime, dance music, and jazz. In a letter to Alban Berg, Schulhoff wrote, I have an absolute passion for the dance in vogue, and myself have times when I dance with bar ladies night after night, purely out of rhythmic intoxication and subconscious sensuality. Schulhoff began to abandon the atonal expressionism of the Schoenberg circle and began to be more influenced by jazz, French neoclassicism, and Slavonic folk music. At this time, Schulhoff also moved back to Prague, where he was active as a composer, concert pianist, and music critic. Unfortunately, things started to take a downhill turn when his father lost their fortune. Universal Editions dissolved his publishing contract because he was too difficult to work with. Uh, his mother died. His wife left after Schulhoff had an affair with a student. Uh, and he, he got remarried shortly afterwards. And he also at this time became very active as a communist. When the German occupation of Czechoslovakia began in 1938, Schulhoff began the process of trying to emigrate to Great Britain, France, or the US. He soon realized that would be too difficult and applied for Soviet citizenship, which he received in April 1941. On June 13, 1941, he picked up visas for himself, his wife, and his son. But the Nazis invaded the Soviet Union on June 22nd, making it impossible for him to go there. Schulhoff was arrested on June 23rd. Schulhoff's father, Gustav, was deported to and died in Theresienstadt. However, Erwin was arrested for being a Soviet citizen, not for being Jewish. He was Jewish, but that wasn't his crime, and was sent to a concentration camp in Bavaria, where he died of tuberculosis only two months later. Schulhoff is most known for his works for winds. However, he wrote numerous pieces for strings, including, we'll listen to a minute of his duo for violin and cello. This is the first movement which he wrote in 1923. 
so what would have been when he was more uh, influenced by Schoenberg and Berg and Webern and that, that school of composition. I have chosen to play two movements of Schulhoff's Etudes de Jazz, written in 1926. In this suite, Schulhoff attempted to recreate the nightclub and cabaret scene in Paris at the time. Chanson, which means song, sounds like a jazz singer in a lounge. This movement is dedicated to Robert Stoltz. Stoltz was an Austrian songwriter and conductor from a very musical family. He was active as a film composer in both Berlin and Vienna and used to travel back and forth quite regularly by car. During World War II, he smuggled Jews and political refugees across the German-Austrian border 21 times. The last movement of the suite is Toccata sur la chimie kitten on the keys del Zez Confrey. Zez Confrey was an American ragtime or novelty piano composer whose first hit was called Kitten on the Keys. He wrote this piece after hearing his grandmother's cat walk across her piano. And this is Schulhoff's take on it. Uh, Schulhoff's movement is dedicated to Alfred Barisel, a German music critic who was known for his love and support of jazz and its use in art music. So these are two movements from the Etudes to Jazz.
Before I, we get to our last composer, I just want to thank you all again for coming, and thank you to Eddie and Isabel and Rabbi for setting this all up. I want to close with Carl Behrman's reminiscences. Behrman was born in 1919 in Bohemia of the Czech Republic. He was originally known as a bass singer, but was also active as a pianist, composer, and conductor. In 1941, he was arrested and imprisoned in Theresienstadt, where he continued using all of his musical talents in the evenings after days of forced heavy labor. While there, he composed several works, including a song, song cycle for bass, voice, and piano, and a three-movement piano suite titled Terezin. The movements were titled Terezin, Terror, and Alone. He originally envisioned these two suites to be performed together with alternating instrumentation. He also conducted the girls' chorus in Theresienstadt, gave frequent solo recitals, and directed many opera performances. Carl Behrman is the only one of today's composers who survived the Holocaust. In 1944, Behrman was taken to Auschwitz and a few days later was transferred to Kaufering, a subcamp of Dachau, where he almost died of typhus, but recovered and was liberated in May 1945. After the war, he continued his studies at the Prague Conservatory, where he later taught, and in 1953 became a member of the Prague National Theater. He was active as a performer and director in opera houses around the world, directing more than 70 operas until his death in 1995. He was one of the leading singers in the Prague National Theater, taught at the Prague Conservatory and the Academy of Musical Arts, and was well known for his operatic stage directing, conducting, and composing. In 1957, he reworked his piano suite, Terezin, into 1938 to 1943 reminiscences, adding an additional five movements. I will play three of these movements. Auschwitz, Corpse Factory, originally written in Theresienstadt and titled Terror. May 25, 1945, Alone, Alone, also written in Theresienstadt. And the final movement, composed in 1957, New Life. Alone is one of the most poignant pieces I've ever played or heard. Uh, the first time I read through it, I just started crying. Just, it's, it's just beautiful, similar in its character and the emotions it invokes to Samuel Barber's Adagio for Strings, if you're familiar with that work. You can hear the heartbreak and sorrow, as even in freedom, there's the horrible realization that so many are gone. This movement moves seamlessly into new life, the final movement which slowly blooms and develops from nothing. Behrman himself wrote, and so I survived concentration camps compared to which the terrors of hell are just about like lemonade compared to Lysol, and that only through strong will, powerful will, and the infinite desire to meet my parents and my brother. On May 24, 1945, at 9.30 a.m., we crossed the border of free Czechoslovakia. From the whole family on my father's and mother's side, I met only one of my mother's brothers, his wife, and my mother's niece. All the others perished, Lord knows where and how. I am beginning a new life. On a personal note, the last two movements have really resonated with me. Uh, my mother's paternal grandfather came to the United States in 1919, 1920. Uh, and as far as we knew, other than one niece with whom we lost contact, the rest of his family had perished in the Holocaust, had been killed. Um, and while I was putting this presentation together, one of my cousins hired a private investigator to see if we could find out what had happened to that side of the family. 
uh, and we kept getting messages with all these clues that he'd uncovered, different, different things that he had found. And in October of this past year, my parents flew to Israel to visit with my oldest brother and, and his family. And while they were there, the last few connections were made and my mom got to meet her grandfather's niece, nephew, and a few other, other cousins. So these last few movements of Alone in New Life have been really special to me to play. So thank you so much for coming. These are three movements from Carl Behrman's Reminiscences.
thank you again so much for coming. Thank you, Eddie, for doing it for all of you.
Hi, this is Shmuley Yanklewitz. I hope you enjoyed listening to this fascinating lecture. At VBM, we strive to bring you only the best in Jewish educational programming. To do this, we host a wide variety of events throughout our learning season, including panels, classes, and lectures, like the one you just listened to. Please consider going to www.valleybetemidrash.org and donating to VBM to support meaningful Jewish education in the greater Phoenix Jewish community, indeed all around the country and the world. Thank you so much for listening.